Hey guys, before I begin this week's podcast, I just want to take an opportunity to congratulate President-elect Joe Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris on their victory in the 2020 election. Both of them made history in uh, President-elect Biden's case, becoming the oldest president, the second Catholic president, and I believe this was his third attempt uh, at office. So finally winning um, president for him is, is, you know, a tremendous honor. And for Kamala Harris, the first woman vice president, the first African-American woman vice president, and the first Indian-American woman vice president, shattering those glass ceilings. Um, it's an incredible success for for women everywhere. You know, it's, it's a long time coming. Um, I watched their speeches tonight, and Kamala Harris said uh, she's the first woman vice president, but she certainly won't be the last. Um, it took a long time to get here. It's Saturday, November 7th, five days after Election Day. Um, the world has, you know, has been glued to the media network screens on CNN, NBC, um, Fox, ABC, watching every key, key race, every projection, you know, scrutinizing the American map, you know, looking at small districts in uh, Nevada and, and in Pennsylvania and Arizona that we've probably never even heard of or, or um, you know, thought about before. And finally, you know, this morning at 11.30 a.m. around noon, we had an answer. Uh, President Biden was, uh, you know, victorious in the election. And he gave a speech tonight to the nation where he talked about doing the work of healing America and bringing people together, being a president for all Americans, not just Demo- you know, not just Democrats, not just people who voted for him, but as much for the people who didn't vote for him as the people who did. Uh, and I think he, you know, will obviously have a an insurmountable task in in healing the divide in America right now. But uh, for tonight, we celebrate hard-fought victory, and I do think that in this case, the good man and the good woman won. I think it was a victory for morality, for decency. Um, As Van Jones said tonight, for all the parents out there, it's going to be a lot easier to tell your kids that, you know, why you should be a good person, why it pays to have a good character, to have integrity, to be honest. I think that America can just breathe a heavy, heavy sigh of relief um, as we look forward to inaugurating our 46th president of the United States of America in a few short months. That's president-elect Joe Biden. And now, enjoy the episode. Three, two, one. Hit it. What? Reversal of fortune. That's why I tell my friends, everything happens for Seriously, a reason. Seriously, you had one job. I, I, I can't with some of these people. Put you on your goddamn cell phone. I don't think my dad even knows how to use a computer. Uh, Would you rather? All right, trust me, take no, my advice. No, but seriously, that legit happened. How's it going, guys? Welcome to Nervous Habits. This week, I'll be joined by best-selling author and podcaster, the lazy genius herself, Kendra Adachi, to explore issues including... Why we should remove the stigma from being lazy. Why you should pick and choose a couple things to be a genius at and be comfortable being lazy about everything else. And finally, how to use the lazy genius principles to get yourself out of a quarantine rut. All that and so much more on another episode of... Nervous Habits. Man. Man, oh man, oh man. Where to even begin? So, when this episode is being released early November, we will, in all likelihood, 
well, not in all of it. We will have we will know the results of the election. Although I guess if there is some sort of constitutional crisis or voting count issue, then maybe not. But anyway, all those listening have the benefit of you know knowledge, right? I mean, I'm recording this in late October. I have no idea what's gonna happen. Um, but in any event, I mean, the last month or so has been has just just been just completely chaotic and and just the the turbulence and the volatility is at an all-time high i mean um you know you had the uh, the first presidential debate which was actually insufferable it was quite painful to watch um with the the constant interruptions by president trump the belligerence the you know lack of seriousness with with which he's you know, he treated the conversations. And then, of course, of course, President Trump was then diagnosed with COVID. Um, and apparently there was a super spreading event in um, Ohio where Trump and his colleagues, his advisors, all contracted the disease because none of them failed to take proper precautions. None of them wore masks. And everyone else, you know, was jeopardized. I mean, so yeah, things things were looking pretty bleak, and then um, obviously it continues to to grow uh, worser by the day. And uh, hopefully, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, I don't know. I uh, certainly for me this this semester, the last couple months has been has been extremely stressful. I mean, I'm sure everyone has. Oh, here we go. Back to the audio. Um Everyone's, you know, had had a tough year. I mean, this has been 2L of, of law school is no joke, especially given the the special circumstances, having to essentially repeat spring of 1L. And, uh, you know, my time management is, is certainly being put to the test this semester, trying to juggle courses and extracurricular commitments and uh, career prep. Um, hold on a second. Holly, I'm podcasting. So certainly my time management skills are being tested, you know, having to juggle everything. And honestly, I being in quarantine for 2L, it does present some advantages because I have no FOMO. Like there's literally nothing going on. So it's not as if staying in for a weekend means that I'm missing out on, you know, exciting parties or, or socializing or anything like that. And on top of that, um, you know, I guess I, I don't feel guilty for staying indoors all the time. I mean, on the other hand, I feel like, you know, I should, probably should be prioritizing um, other aspects of my life. Probably getting outside, getting some vitamin D more often. Um, you know, I've been exercising a decent amount, but probably not as much as I would like to be. Um, so I don't even know why I'm why I'm presenting all this as context. I know it's just been it's been a little bit since I've checked in with everybody, and you know, I hope. All those listening, I hope you guys are, are staying healthy. I hope you got your flu shot because flu season, when you have the combination of flu season with the pandemic, I do think it's going to be particularly difficult um, in the next couple months. It might get worse before it gets better. Um, and that no matter how the election turned out, past tense, future tense, present tense, uh, you know, you're you're hopeful and, and you're in a, in a good a good headspace. Um you obviously know what my opinions are based on what I've said the last couple of minutes and also based on listening to the election preview a couple of weeks ago and listening to the pod the last two years. But 
Um, yeah, I hope I hope no matter what that we can come together as a country uh, and we can get get through this. You know, because this is this is this is tough. This is um, doesn't get any doesn't get any harder than this. Um, so in any event, I'm gonna try to keep up with the episodes every uh, every two weeks or so. Um, if for some reason I'm not able to do that. If at some point I need to go on hi- hiatus for school, I'll keep you guys. I'll keep you guys um in the loop. But uh, it would only be for like a month or two, much like last last year when I did when I had to go on hiatus during finals. But we'll see what happens. Um, so I guess in the spirit of of me having mentioned uh, my struggles with time management, my guest today is a self proclaimed lazy genius, uh, Kendra Adachi. She started the Lazy Genius Collective. She is a blogger. She created the Lazy Genius blog. She also authored the New York Times bestselling book, The Lazy Genius Way. Embrace what matters, dist what doesn't, and get stuff done. And she is also a podcaster. She hosts the Lazy Genius podcast on Apple um, and Spotify. So Kendra was an absolute delight to speak with and I, it, it's it's funny. I think a lot of what I just mentioned with you know balancing work and life and um, the pandemic and the results of the election, we talk about how to approach those topics from a lazy genius perspective. And if you're scratching your head wondering, you know, what the hell is he talking about? Why does he keep saying lazy genius? That's lazy genius is is sort of like a framework, a lifestyle, um, a way of of being that Kendra discusses. You know how she thought of it um, and what it means. She you know we talk about that. Uh, in our conversation. So without further ado, my conversation with Kendra Adachi. Kendra, welcome to Nervous Habits. Thanks for having me, Ricky. I'm glad to be here. It's great to have you. I'm really excited to talk with you today about the lazy genius way and and your work and and you know your, your book on on being a lazy genius. First things first, when you think about genius, Kendra, you know, what who comes to mind or or what comes to mind? In other words, this is sort of like the if you could have dinner with anyone in history, who would it be? Question. Oh man, that is such a good question, dude. Okay, so I um, wow. So when I think about genius, honestly, when I think about perfectionism, and so I often uh, sort of disengage people who are just sole geniuses from that word because for me, being a genius was just trying to be perfect at everything all the time. But in terms of people who are just like really, really awesome that I would want to have dinner with. Um, I was an English major in college mm-hmm. and I love to read. And, uh, and so I think that wanting to sit down with um, like the, like Tolkien and CS Lewis and all of these storytellers would be just the coolest thing to just hear them talk to each other. Um but I do think that the the idea here behind being a lazy genius, as opposed to just being a genius, is there's just no way we can be amazing at everything that we put our hand hand to. Um, we can't get everything right. We can't have the perfect system. We can't have this perfectly optimized life. And so uh, the idea behind being a lazy genius is we can be a genius about what matters to us. We mm. choose those things. We name that. And then we put energy into those things. And we can be a genius about that. But we also have to be lazy about the rest. We have to let go of the things that don't and choose to be lazy about them, choose to care about them less, trust that someone else will care about them. You know, we can make smart decisions about that kind of thing. Um, but the idea of being a lazy genius is to be a genius about what matters and then lazy about what doesn't. Mm. 
Absolutely. That, that makes perfect sense. And it's, it's interesting, Kendra, because, you know, you're, you're sort of reconceptualizing what it means to be a genius. I think most people when asked the question of, you know, who would you have dinner with in history or, you know, who comes to mind when you think genius, they have this one dimensional, you know, um, conception of genius is someone who masters the sciences or who just possesses, you know, otherworldly knowledge. But some of the names you mentioned are folks who are just, like you said, great storytellers who, um, have sort of you know went about genius in a different way so do you think there's there's different ways to be a genius or, or rather different layers different dimensions to genius as opposed to a one-size-fits-all oh absolutely and i think even hearing you say those words it makes me realize why would i say lewis and tolkien it's because story matters to me that's something that is a, is like at the core of who i am um you know i went to i went to school to teach English. Um, I'm a teacher now just in a different way. (laughs) Um, but I, you know, my, my hobby is reading. I just, I love stories. And so I think that what we, what we tend to do is think that if our definition of genius or what genius should be, what should matter, if it doesn't line up with what we sort of hear the general population saying, or people that we trust or any of that, if it doesn't line up, like you're saying, if it doesn't fit into the box and the narrative, that we have sort of been taught or have received, then our choices that are outside of that don't measure up, right? We sort of uh, get down on ourselves for not being a genius about the right things. And that's still trying to be a genius at everything. So I just want to be the biggest permission giver to people to care about what you want to care about that you don't have to necessarily see, as you said, see genius as in one prescriptive way that without all of us carrying, caring deeply and passionately about what we do, things are just going to get lost. We're all going to burn out where, you know, it's, there's really Mm -hmm. no path. There's really no path forward for us. If we're all trying to be amazing at everything, like that's just not how humanity works. So so you've really, I mean, I mean, it sounds like you're, you're looking at genius almost from an, from an efficiency perspective of like, you can't, you know, like Jack of all trades, master of none, you can't be a genius at everything. You have to, you know, find your, your specific niche, your specialization, um, and just get, you know, really good at that and, and perfect that. So is that, you know, you, you, you talk about storytelling and, and your work as a teacher, is that what motivated you to essentially start this lazy genius movement and, and to write the book? Mm. Yes. I, I just became really burdened for lack. It's kind of a dramatic word, but I just felt really burdened by, um, the conversations that I was hearing and watching online and in my regular life, particularly with women. Um, but kind of across the board of, of everyone just trying so hard and continuing to be tired. You know, we, we are so focused. I think that's why there's so much focus on things like, life hacks and, um, you know, time management and optimization and, uh, all of these things, because we are trying to kind of do, we're trying to do everything and, um, we're trying to shortcut everything. And so, because you can't possibly, you know, carry all the, all the spin, all the plates or whatever it is, like juggle all the balls. Um, well, if you are, um, like trying to put a lot of energy into the one that matters, things are just going to get shortcutted. And so we just shortcutted, shortcutted a word. So we, um, we end up, we end up shortcutting everything. I I think of an example um, because I think examples are always helpful to kind of land on what this actually means. So I, um, 
have done a, I have a podcast too, uh, called the lazy genius podcast. And I did an episode on baking bread, uh, the lazy genius bakes bread. And I talked about kind of the science behind bread and why I love baking bread. And, and it was interesting because there were a number of, uh, comments, they weren't negative or whatever, but they were just like, Hey, this doesn't feel very lazy. And I'm like, because I want to be a genius about bread. I want to spend time on bread. I want to make it myself. I want to invest those hours and that energy into something because homemade bread matters to me. Now, does it have to matter to you? No. And if it doesn't, go buy bread. Like it, it's not a moral choice of whether or not you make bread or not. But I think that's what we do too, is that we sort of um, are like often putting unnecessary morality on our choices because they're mm-hmm. different from other people's. Some choices of course are moral, but whether you bake bread or not, isn't a moral choice. So just, I just became burdened by the morality that was put on all of these choices um, the lack of freedom that I saw in people to just care about what they wanted to care about. And, um, I, I'm kind of a, a bossy big sister, like a kind bossy big sister by nature. I am an actual big sister. And so, um, I just thought, you know what, I just don't hear enough voices on the internet that are speaking to this, that are inviting people to not just freedom. I mean, cause there is, there's a lot of language, on um, you know, on doing, doing your thing and following your dreams and all that, but it just feels too broad and sweeping and that there isn't sort of like a boots on the ground way to do that. And Mm -hmm. so that's why I created, that's why I wanted to write this book and that, and create this space. You know, it, it's really interesting, um, Kendra, hearing you talk about uh, sort of, you know, the the ecosystem out there and, and all the literature on life hacks and, and self-help. It seems like every day you open up YouTube and there's a new like self-proclaimed expert, you know, uh, trying to t- tell you how to hack your life or the shortcuts to, to being successful. And I do think it, it sort of begs the question, you know, why in 2020 is it more important than ever to be a lazy genius. I think, why is it important to manage your time effectively? You know, how, how does the relationship with technology fit into this? What do you think about how those issues come together? Yeah, that's such an interesting, that's such an interesting way to look at it. I think that for me, I'll speak about me personally, anecdotally. And I think that this is true. This tends to be true of a lot of the people that I interact with on the internet as well. And in real life is that 2020 has taught us that we are human beings, that we are, we are not people who just follow a schedule and a to-do list and, uh, you know, wake up, go through our list and then go to bed. Um, that this year has taken a lot of those things away from us, you know, our, our typical systems of how we live through our day. Uh, a lot of those are gone or have been adjusted in big ways. Um, Mm -hmm. we are living through, um, I believe a national trauma in processing living in a pandemic, um, living through civil unrest and a, a very contentious election. Like there are a lot of things that are, are um, taking energy from us that we don't even see. It's like these invisible energy drains. And, um, but what's interesting is even though in 2020, those feel a lot more tangible and obvious, those drains, those actually exist outside of this year. There are things in our lives that are kind of slowly, you know, it's like poking the tiniest hole in a balloon where the air is like gradually going out. That's why we t- like, that's why sometimes we crash, you know, like we're, we're, we're doing our life we're living our life. And then all of a sudden we're like, I can't 
I can't do anything. Like I have no motivation to do anything. We just sort of crash and burn. We hit a wall. And, uh, and I think there is not enough awareness of the fact that we, we are like human beings with a soul. Like we do need systems, but we also have a soul and you can't put a system on your soul. And so, uh, 2020 has kind of exacerbated that for us. It's, it's put uh, a spotlight on the fact that, man, you systems can't save you. They just can't because when they're taken away, when your system is gone, you have to have something left. You have to remember the humanity that's left and what really does deeply matter to you. So that's something that's, I think, been really beautiful about this year is I'm seeing people um, invited without their permission, really, but just for this, the way that uh, the world is going right now, that we are invited into a place where we actually sort of have to name what matters because what has been the placeholder for so long, the, the productivity, the movement, the, um, the optimization, those things have, have been, have shifted and in some ways taken away. And so now we get to name it and it's a really lovely thing. Absolutely. I, I think, I think you really, you really hit the nail on the head. Um, folks, given everything that's transpired this year that, that you spoke about, I think people are being tested. And, um, you know, on the podcast, we talk a lot about mental health and wellness. We've, we've had some, some mental health experts come on and we've talked about, you know, staying grounded um, and, you know, me- mentally, emotionally well during the pandemic. I think that right now, a lot of folks are struggling with, you know, staying motivated with having something to look forward to in the future. Um, people who haven't necessarily struggled with depression or anxiety, Kendra, in, in the past are now finding themselves developing or having exacerbated, um, you know, mood disorders. And so now, you know, in, in addressing what you said about having systems in place, um, having routines, uh, having structure. I do think people who maybe w- weren't interested in something like being a lazy genius or, you know, productivity or discovering, you know, inner value and, and spirituality, all those different things. I think now they're, they're finding that they have to, you know, sort of tackle these, these larger existential questions. So we, we are definitely at a unique time in, um, you know, in our lives. And, and I do think this is going to be a year that people look back on um, and, you know, they see transformation and they see um, the, you know, the, the formation of, of key values and, and structures. Oh, I love that. The formation of key values and structures. I'm nodding my head aggressively at everything you're saying. I agree so much <sighs> that 2020, um, you know, and I, it's, it's funny. I, I enjoy coming on different, um, having different conversations with different people and their platforms, because, you know, a lot of times I'm talking about laundry and chicken. Um, but there <laughs> is such a deep, there is such a deep need for recognizing that our movement towards trying to find ways to do laundry and cook chicken and just be a person is really about what you just said. It's about the formation of those values. And we we sort of um feel the exhaustion of not having that formation named. I think that most people do have a decent sense of what matters to them. They just haven't put words to it before. And if you don't name something, it doesn't have power. It doesn't, it doesn't move you in any sort of direction. It doesn't give you any kind of momentum or permission to leave behind the rest. We are just sort of going through the motions for lack of a better colloquial phrase. And so Mm -hmm. I think that because 2020 has taken away our emotions, there are no, there are no more emotions that we used to do. And so we're like, wait, what do I, 
what am I working with here? In fact, the other day, um, I was driving to, uh, my sister's house and, um, I just had this, like you, you said the word existential. I had such an existential <laughs> moment where I was like, wait a minute, we're all like people living in like homes doing work. Why? Like, it just was this, if you don't mm. name the why, what are we even doing? You know, it was just so like seeing there was a couple outside in their yard, um, like aerating their yard and thinking like they're choosing to make their grass grow. Why? Like it was so, it was just this really funny moment of like, if we don't really name why, um, there's nowhere to go, but guess what, what we're doing by not naming why, and by going through the motions, um, with, but still maintaining this goal of like optimization and being better and, um, being the best that we can be and like always pushing and striving and, and that kind of like hustling language. If we stay on that trajectory without rooting deeply into what matters to us, we're actually not engaging in daily practices that are the reason for life about mm. connection with the people in our own homes without like fueling and feeding and comforting our bodies with nature and food and conversation and rest. Like we sort of dismiss these small things because we're on this path of like being better and, and moving forward. But what's it all for? All of it's for a day where we get to the end of the day and we smile and say, that was a good day or sitting with somebody we love or reading a story, engaging in a story that makes us come alive. Like it's those small things every day that really fulfill us, not necessarily this movement towards an invisible finish line. And so I just, I just get so excited about seeing back to what you said, that formation of values, because what it does is it gives greater power and meaning to the small choices that we make every day um, and putting the bigger picture into a better perspective. Wow. I mean, I, Kendra, that was so beautifully said. Um, I, did you study, uh, do you have any background in like philosophy or, or psychology? I, I know you, you talked about education. I've been to a lot of therapy. <laughs> okay. Well, look, that counts. That, that, can, that counts as a background. Um, yeah, no, I've done, I, I mean, I've done a lot of reading. Um, I, I am a, I'm a victim of, of abuse and um, grew up in a family of abuse. And so there, and a lot of mental illness. And so it is definitely something that I, care about, like to use the, forgive the words, but it is something that I want to be as much of a genius about as I can without actually having gone to school for it. But I, I just believe so much in, um, in humanity in like the right. sacredness of the soul and, and validating what that is for people. And, um, because if we just, yeah, if we just put too many systems on things, we lose the soul, we lose permission to just be human. So I do read a lot about what it means to be human. So I care yeah. about it a lot. <laughs> well, well, look, I mean, I, the reason why I ask is because I, I do think, um, you know, when, when you, you talk about how you're driving past, you know, your neighbor and you're seeing them watering their grass and you're wondering, you have a, a moment of sort of an out of body experience where you're reflecting and wrestling with the big questions. Like what is it all for? I do think that, you know, you are seeing right now a lot of, you know, folks that, have have always been you know busy and distracted and you know like you said uh, climbing the achievement mat uh, ladder going from from you know uh, 
activity one to activity two, getting to their end of the days and not really working towards something are for the first time now looking inward, like, you know, like we've spoken about before. Um, and there is something, you know, like you spoke about, there's something sort of uh, beautiful in that in, in, you know, in people finally uh, thinking about the meaning of their existence. Um, and I'll also say, because you spoke about, you know, it with the pandemic, um, folks for the first time, you know, exploring these questions, uh, it is it is interesting um, when you think about how right now in 2020, and we, you know, we don't have to have to delve too much into all of the darkness, but I think a lot of people are, are asking themselves like, oh, you know, could it get any worse, right? Like, mm. you know, uh, you have the pandemic happens and then you spoke about the racial and civil unrest and, um, you know, so much uncertainty and, uh, everything that's been going on and rock bottom seems to be getting lower and lower and lower. And then of course we have, <laughs> I have friends and, and family who um, we try not to get too political on the podcast, but you know, they're saying, look, if, if, you know, if the pre president gets reelected, how am I going to, how am I going to go on? You know, how am I going to find the will to keep advocating when, you know, mm -hmm. the, the good people in this world are, are not winning out. And um, it's, it's hard. So I guess, uh, you know, th th this doesn't necessarily relate to being a lazy genius, but how do you find the, the drive and, you know, what pushes you to go forward in spite of the floor continuing to, to get lower and lower and lower? Mm. That's so well said. And, um, ironically, I think it actually does have to do with being a lazy genius because, um, one of the things that I choose to care about, like I already said is, is the sacredness of humanity. And it really, um, it's, it's something that, that motivates me. Um, but it is also something that can be incredibly draining. And just today, um, when we're recording this, I, um, I posted, and again, and we won't, we won't get into politics too deeply here, but I did post <laughs> about my political views for this particular election. And, um, and I, I had to turn off the comments within an hour, um, because they became so vitriolic and, um, and it was, uh, it was heartbreaking on one hand, but also incredibly motivating on the other, because, um, what I am choosing to do is to be a genius about something that matters to me, which mm -hmm. is justice, democracy, and love. Now guess how I get to be a genius about that. I am going to use so the, the book, and this is not a book plug. This is truly why I believe that this book is a life-changing book, not because I wrote it, but because these are principles that apply to literally every situation. So for example, there are 13 principles in this book. One of the ways that I support wanting to be a genius and wanting to um, focus on this thing that matters to me, justice, democracy, and love is to use principles like schedule rest. That's a principle in the book. So like for today, I am scheduling rest from my phone. I was, this is the time that I'm going to be here and engage in these comments. And, and then the rest of it, I'm going to stop. I'm going to rest from this space. I'm going to give my, my body and my soul a chance to recover from the difficulty of that, from focusing on this thing that matters. I'm going to schedule rest. I'm going to, another principle is I'm going to let people in. I'm going to say thank you when friends reach out and say, you know, I'm proud of you. This must be really hard. Or I'm going to let people in who disagree, uh, who, who we disagree um, with how we see things. And we're still going to see the humanity in each other. That's another principle. I am going to, I'm going to batch it by, and by batching, I'm like, I am going to make uh, like 
what I make for lunch today is what we're eating for dinner so that I don't have to make two meals. You know, like I am taking care of myself in this thing that matters to me with very concrete principles, very concrete principles. Like it's not just, again, it's not, it's system and soul. It's these small daily things. Like we have to eat, we have to wear clean clothes. We have to, you know, get like right now I have to get a form notarized and I have to figure out when I'm going to go to the bank and how I'm going to take care of my kids and doing that. You know, like there are things we can't just ignore those daily things. Um, but we also don't have to focus on them at the expense of everything else. These, these lazy genius principles give us tools that we can use in combination or alone to serve us in these areas where we are trying to be a genius, even things as difficult and uh, exhausting um, and traumatic as having these really deeply divisive conversations. So I actually, um, like, I have to be a lazy genius about those too. Mm. Yeah, it, it's, I, I appreciate the, the context um, and, and sharing a couple of those principles. It, it is interesting because you are right though. I hear what you're saying about applying the lazy genius ideology to um, a, you know, to, to a situation as, as divisive as, you know, the, the, the political sphere. But I do wonder, you, you know, just hearing you talk about a lot of these principles and earlier in this conversation, you mentioned baking bread and you said that someone remarked, wow, like that doesn't sound lazy at all. It does sound like Kendra, there is a lot of, of, you know, for lack of a better word, work going into devising these, these ideas, you know, creating the, the mental space to apply them and actually setting aside time to batch it, for example. So, you know, why, why lazy? Like when you were formulating the lazy genius idea for, for your book and for your lifestyle, why the word lazy as opposed to, you know, maybe like efficient or economical? Are, are you troubled at all with the potentially negative connotation of lazy? I'm just, I'm curious about that. Yeah, no, that's a really great question. Um, so part of it is, I think that, um, I do think that the word lazy has taken on a different color in the last year or so. Um, I created this, this, um, business in 2015 and, um, and I think that, that I actually have gotten some, um, pushbacks too strong of a word, but some conversation around that word, you know, like, are you advocating for not caring? Um, mm -hmm. are you advocating for, um, um, complacency? Are you advocating, you know, and, um, and even conversations around the word lazy, um, being attributed often, um, from like a greater cultural context on people of color. Um, in a negative way that people of color are seen as lazy. And, and am I, am I promoting that? Absolutely not. Oh my, absolutely not. Um, I think that, uh, so it, you're right. It is, it's an interestingly charged word, especially in the last year. Um, but what I want to offer with the word lazy, lazy feels like a very permissive word in, in a way that I hope is helpful. Lazy is, um, is a word that just sort of like, is completely absent of responsibility. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, a, it's a word that is absent of efficiency of um, motivation. Right. Um, and I think that we need permission for that in certain parts of our lives. I think that we need someone to tell us that we can be lazy about not making homemade bread, that mm. I can be lazy about um, my kid, like being an involved uh, class parent in the school that my way of being uh, 
okay. So for example, um, I have three kids, I have a 10 year old an eight year old and a four year old. And of course this year has been crazy with uh, virtual school and all of that. But, um, I obviously deeply, deeply care about the education system. I care about my children's education. I care about supporting the teachers and all of that. Um, I also, I mean, I went to school to be a teacher originally, so I very much care about that. Um, but one of the things that can be very draining for me is being in a kind of classroom, uh, class mom space with, um, pressure to perform to a certain standard within a certain rubric of what it means to be a good parent or caregiver or how you're going to support a classroom. And, um, that for example, if I do not volunteer to, um, you know, host a class party, then I'm not involved in my children's education. And that feels, uh, incredibly unfair to a lot of people whose giftings are different, whose, um, who work jobs, who are single parents who, you know, who can't, um, volunteer time, but they can maybe give money or they can send, uh, encouraging, uh, emails to a teacher, or they can be an advocate for certain resources. They can sit with their kid when they're doing their homework. You know, it's, it's, mm. it's, um, it's giving, it's giving people permission to let go of what is not serving the purpose that they see their life, uh, moving toward, um, and being rooted in. And so we can choose, you know, I think most people who have children, for example, care about those children having an education, but there are things that we can be lazy about, um, in our own lives, um, and sort of let go of those things and not be motivated to pursue a certain way of doing it. And instead put that energy into something else because we have finite time, finite resources, finite energy. And I want to use what I do have in a direction that matters to me, that's energizing, that makes me, you know, and so, um, so I think that that word lazy and even the word genius, but especially that word lazy, I think that, um, as we begin to give each other permission to care about things that are different than what we care about. Cause that's the next step that that's, mm-hmm. you mentioned the work. Um, it is work to name what matters to you, but it's also really beautifully freeing because then you have more energy um, to actually do that work and are motivated to continue doing that work. But where it becomes really difficult, the wall of the, of the work that we hit is when we interact with people who do not prescribe to that way of thinking, to that ideology and who, judge our choices because they don't match theirs. And so the next step is a collective movement towards allowing us each to plant our flags in the sand uh, where we choose to, and that we can all collectively as one like group of humanity that we are all, everything is getting cared about because everybody is focusing on what matters most to them. Nothing's falling through the cracks. And if it is, then maybe it didn't matter so much at the first place that we're all caring and we're allowing each other to care differently um, and removing that judgment, which again, I think removes that idea that being lazy is like a cop-out or you don't really care or, well, you know what? I don't have the energy to care about anything. You care about that part. And I can't wait to see what you do with it. I think, first of all, uh, what you just said, uh, Kendra, the removing the judgment, I think that's particularly um, on point. There is a, an innate stigma with being lazy. You talked about how it applies, um, you know, uh, oftentimes in popular culture, you know, people think about 
uh, folks of color or honestly like Westerners, Americans being lazy. You, you, you think about in politics when it comes to people who are successful and people who are poor. Um, sometimes it's, oh, you know, uh, this person didn't work hard enough. This person was lazy. So really reframing that um, not to be a negative thing and, and to, to pick and choose, like you said, what exactly you can be lazy about. Um, I think the, the oxymoron works particularly well when you think about like deafening silence or act naturally. Um, uh, yeah, uh, definitely. Maybe you have that, that lazy gene, you know, with lazy genius, it, it, it works in that way as well. Um, but I, I think you are right. I, I think it is important um, for everyone listening that don't, you know, and, and this is something I, I try to talk about on the podcast a lot, but don't be too hard on yourself. If, if there is something that you're giving 200% to, um, whether it be a passion project, a hobby, school, work, whether you're raising children, give yourself permission to be, you know, lazy, for lack of a better word, in your other endeavors, you know, don't, don't hold yourself to an, uh, you know, uh, an infallible standard in those regards. Right. Exactly. That's actually another principle in the book. It's the final one of the book is to be kind to yourself. Mm. If we are not kind to ourselves um, in this, this process of, of being human and living day after day after day and rubbing shoulders with other humans who see the world differently than we do and who might judge our choices or we, you know, there, there are just so many things that we, that we carry, you know, we, there, there's trauma that we carry there, you know, obviously there are personality differences. There's, um, and there are just so many things. There are uh, social constructs and the systems that we live in. And, and so I think that, um, there's something really beautiful about, um, letting people, like you said, like that we're, we're not here to judge each other. We're here to connect with each other. And if we, and, and that includes ourselves, that if we sit in judgment, uh, towards ourselves, we will continue to be tired. We will continue to chase a, an invisible finish line instead right. of being kind to who we are right now. And so that's why that particular principle is, was the last kind of final one in the book, because it's like, Hey, none of this really works. If you're unkind to yourself, if you beat yourself up for not getting this right, this isn't going to work. Absolutely. And, and, and I want to, I want to, uh, you know, pivot to the principles in a moment, but something that just popped into my mind, because you're talking a lot about judgment is, you know, nowadays with social media, with Twitter in particular, but with other platforms as well, everyone has a voice and, and you do have this sort of, um, you know, narcissism de developing culturally where folks are, are very self-involved and, and folks think that their opinion is the most important one. You know, people go on Twitter thinking that they're a comedian because they tell a joke or they're an expert. You see this in, in the sciences now, you know, they're an expert on pandemics because they read up on Wikipedia or <laughs> right. they're a movie reviewer because they went on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, so I, you know, I, I also do sort of struggle with this where how do you walk that line between not, ju not judging people um, and giving people space to express their opinions while at the same time, you know, you don't want to allow folks to think that their opinion is more credible or more legitimate compared to folks who are experts, especially, I mean, you see this a lot, um, going back to the pandemic with people that think that they know better than the experts. So uh, this, this ties into the, the idea of, of genius, Kendra, but, but how, do you, how do you walk that line? Mm, yeah, 
that's an easy question to answer. Um, <laughs> no, you're right. It's like, what a, what a difficult place that we are in that because uh, the, you know, the internet gets demonized a lot for, mm-hmm. um, you know, it gives everybody a megaphone and um, it's, it's dividing us and it's taking away our relationships. And, um, and I think to a point, if it's, if it's abused, like anything is, I think that's true. Um, and I think that perhaps, all right, let's see, let's see if this is going to come together, Ricky. I think that we are all so desperate to be known and loved and seen for who we are. And what the internet does, what being an expert at something that you might not actually be an expert at, what trying to, again, like uh, put perhaps a more uninformed flag in the sand, all of these moves, I believe, and this is just my opinion, I think they originate from a place of simply wanting to be seen and affirmed and loved. And we are so desperate to get it right, to be right, to uh, win to, you know, we live in a culture of winning and growing and bigger is better. And mm-hmm. so um, being smarter is better. There are all of these, um, these check boxes that we are supposed to tick in order to count. And so we make these moves in a direction of trying to count instead of seeing the fact that we are all like sacred people and that we don't have to be right all the time for that to still be true, that we don't have to be optimized to be valuable, that we don't have to be incredibly productive for someone to think that we matter. We are just seeking after, um, we're trying to fill a hole that cannot be filled with what we're trying to fill it with. And, um, and so I think that's where a lot of that, um, that expertise comes from a lot of the judgment comes from is it comes from a place of fear. It comes from Mm. a place of desire to want to be seen, but we're afraid to say out loud, I'm afraid you're not going to like me because I value this thing differently than you do. I'm afraid you're going to leave that you're going to walk away, that you're not going to think I'm important to you anymore. And your relationship (laughs) matters to me. And so I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to say anything rather than rather than here's what I, Oh, here's what I'm so passionate about, Ricky, um, that I don't get to talk about as much because I'm always talking about laundry and chicken, but here's what really, (laughs) really matters to me is that instead of, again, I said, one of the principles in the book is to let people in instead of letting people in by, by conforming or staying silent or covering up or being lazy about things that actually do matter to us instead of morphing who we are in order to maintain a relationship that we are afraid is going to dissolve if we are truly who we who we want to be in that relationship rather than making that choice based on a narrative in our own head what i want to encourage us all to do is to instead out loud narrate what is happening inside us in that relationship. This is how you let people in. So for example, instead of thinking, man, if I tell him how I really feel about this, he's not going to talk to me again. You say out loud, listen, I love you and this relationship. And I, there's something that really matters to me that I want to share with you because I want to let you in, but I'm tempted to not do it because I'm afraid you're going to leave. And I don't think that's rooted in any truth, but it is, it is changing how I am moving in this conversation with you. So I just want to tell you that out loud that I am feeling defensive in what I'm about to say, because I'm coming from a place of fear that you're going to leave. 
but I'm going to say it anyway, because I trust this relationship more than I trust my fear. We don't do that enough. We don't say out loud what is actually happening in our own heads and our fear, our relational fears. And we just get on the internet and speak loudly about something that we think that we have uh, something that we have an opinion on because we want someone to see us. And instead um, it's because we're not moving towards the people in our actual everyday lives in an authentic way where we all are being affirmed, where we are being valued for who we are, or we're receiving that value outside of a lens of thinking that uh, uh, out of a, uh, out of a poor narrative, out of a, a, a deceitful narrative that our actions determine our value. They don't, they don't. That's so incredibly well said. I, I feel like we could do a whole nother episode just dissecting um, the idea of, as you said, tethering your value to something that you post on the internet. I mean, I, honestly, I think we found the title of your next book here. You said, we don't have to optimize to be valuable. I think that's, <laughs> if you if you want to run with that idea, um, I, I, I think you're right. I think that in, in society, you know, the, the idea is the more productive you are, the more value you have, the more productive you are, the you know better you'll do at work. And you're just, you know, j- climbing the achievement ladder and, and, and all that. Um, I, I think that that's, that's you know, a, a serious problem that we've wrestled with and we're going to continue to, to wrestle with. So just sort of pivoting here to, to your principles. I mean, you've, you've done a, a really wonderful job uh, tying them all into what we've been discussing. Um, you talked about letting people in, batching it, scheduling rest, being kind to yourself. There's 13 total. I just want to ask you generally, did you, when you were writing the book, did you have you know, these 13 in mind, or was it, you know, you had like 50 principles and then you went through and you narrowed it down to 25 and you said, okay, this one makes more sense in this order. So, so what was your process of really selecting those, those 13, four of which we've already discussed? Yeah. I love that question. So actually the, the book, the lazy genius way, the book I wrote is not the book I pitched. Um, I actually thought that this book would be more talking about the different areas of our lives that we want to lazy genius. So our home, our schedules, our time, our relationships. And I, I wrote, I wrote 60,000 words that didn't get used. I wrote, I had to write a book before I found the book. It was the worst. (laughs) So annoying, but I will say, I think the reason is because as I was, I would talk about things like, here's how to, a Here's how a way, um, here's a way to approach planning your day. Here is how we can focus on, um, getting dinner on the table without losing your mind. Here is, you know, just all the regular daily things that we have to deal with. Um, and every time I would write a chapter like, well, but this person might not have the same life as me, this, this help, this tip, this approach, this system doesn't make sense for them because we have different lives and I don't know their lives. And mm-hmm. as I kept going through all of that and I was like, wait a minute, I just, I remember actually voxing, um, like voice memoing my, my agent and saying my literary agent. And I, cause she had been checking in with me, like, cause our, my deadline was approaching pretty quickly and I didn't have a book yet. And I was like, I don't, I, I, it's here, but I can't, I can't find it. And I remember saying to her, wait a minute, I wonder, are there principles that I use to make all of these decisions, to create all this content on my podcast in all of that I'm talking about, are there underlying principles? I'm going to see. And, and these 13 were the ones 
since it came out. And I went through to test it. I was like, all right, we're going to, we need proof that this actually works, that you can indeed lazy genius anything. And I legitimately went through every single podcast episode I've ever done, every single blog post I have ever written. And I was like, is there a principle in here? Yep. There's one. There's two. There's three. Boom. Like every single thing. So it wasn't that it was narrowed down. It was like, these were the ones that surfaced to the top. And, mm. um, and it was such a lovely thing. And, and the, the way that I sort of like, I don't know the proof perhaps that like you can literally lazy genius, anything is I wrote this book before 2020, I wrote it before I knew there was going to be a pandemic and the number of people who have said, this book is getting me through this year because there's so much that I have to apply these principles to. And I just didn't think that you could get through this year in one piece. Now, granted, are we fractured? Are we tired? Are, mm -hmm. Yes. Oh yeah. my, yes. But oh, yeah. I am so grateful that perhaps these principles are make us less so. You know, they are they're giving us tools to to make decisions for us that serve us and our people well um, to create that margin and that rest so that we can make it through more or less in one piece. So um, it's it actually is really kind of a cool thing that the principles sort of they kind of uh, um, like appeared and they presented themselves to me and they're like, Hey, here, here we are. Just put names to us and put yeah. us in a certain order and then write a book about it. And it was like, and then there's the book. And it was amazing. Yeah. It's actually funny. It, it's, there's something meta here where it's like, well, number one, the idea that, um, you know, all of the great geniuses in, in history, right? Like they, they always say, Oh, it came to me in a dream. It, you know, right. it, yeah. it, um, I, I was like in the shower and I just discovered the theory of special relativity, but, but there is sort of what, in what you're saying, um, it, sounds like it happened organically. Also, it, it does sound a little bit meta in that you're using the lazy genius principles to identify the lazy genius principles. Like you're essentializing and you're, you know, putting yes. everything in its place and you're, that's right. I, you know, being kind to yourself as you do it. So I, I do think that's, that's an, an, an interesting um, aside to, to your process as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I, I, I hadn't actually thought about that before that I did lazy genius writing the lazy genius way <laughs> in, in, in a lot of ways. Cause you're right. That is exactly what needed to happen. And that's why I love principled living rather than rule living or system living because our lives change. Like this is the year that we know that like we, you, we have no, we have so much less control than we think we do. And, um, but to be nimble, that, that's a word that has sort of come up in my life a lot recently that I mm, I'm realizing like is a word. personal, a, a, a personal value for me is I want to be nimble in my conversations and my decisions. And I made this plan and it's not working. Well, I don't want to, you know, like lose my mind about it. Let's just move forward. Let's be nimble and how we do that. And principles help us be nimble. Um, it's, it's kind of rules and, and set big machines that we build. Um, that we have to maintain that keep us from being nimble. We have to maintain the machine. We have to maintain whatever productivity system we have built in order to mm -hmm. continue us moving in this direction rather than living principle uh, from a principled standpoint. And so I just really love, um, yeah, like as I named those things, it was, um, I mean, I'm, I'm the lazy genius. And I, when I, the principles came out, I was like, <laughs> This is so great. Like what a great way to live. Like, it was yeah, kind of ironic. It was great. Totally. Uh, and, and rather than, you know, uh, going through the rest of the principles, let me just give you a couple of situations, Kendra, um, that I think listeners will relate to living in the pandemic, going, you know, going through this, this tumultuous year. And I want you to tell me how you can lazy genius your way through um, a couple of these situations. Nice. Let's do so, it. So 
first, let's say someone listening um, finds themselves, you know, has been stuck in quarantine for the last, um, you know, six, seven months, doesn't really get outside too much and just finds themselves sitting on, on their couch, um, you know, watching community on Netflix and going from episode to episode to episode. And they want to force themselves to actually read more, to actually learn more. They feel, they feel their, you know, synaptic pathways decaying. Uh, Kendra, <laughs> how would you, you know, what advice would you impart to them and, and how you can use the principles to, you know, getting out of their, their rotten and, you know, getting up from their couch. Yeah. I love that. All right. So two principles we haven't talked about yet that I feel like are perfect for this scenario are to decide once and start small. All right. So we'll start with start small. Um, we often think I just talked about like building big machines. We think that if we don't build it big, it doesn't count. Or if we aren't sitting on our couch for three hours a night reading that reading doesn't count. You know, if we read for five minutes versus three hours, five minutes doesn't count. And that's just not true. We have to be okay with starting small. We, in fact, we need to embrace starting small because otherwise we don't start. (laughs) If we build it too big, we don't move. We don't do anything because it's not going to work. So the first thing I would say is if you are a person who is watching community and you're like, I I love the show, but I also love reading. I want to, I want to read, start small by saying, when I sit down on the couch, before I grab the remote, I'm going to set a timer and I'm going to read for 10 minutes Mm. done. And then, and then watch community. But if you get to the end of the 10 minutes and you're like, I'd like to keep reading, keep reading and stop when you want to stop. Like it doesn't have to be some elaborate thing. Just start small. Um, the other thing I would say with um, uh, the other principle I would use here is to decide once, which is what it sounds like. You make a decision one time and then let that decision ride until it doesn't work anymore. So one of the ways that I personally decide once with my, uh, my reading Uh, because I do love to read, but I also love watching Netflix. So it's like a real thing is you can decide um, this night, uh, you know, Tuesday night is reading night. I can watch community every other night, but Tuesday night is reading night. So when you get to Tuesday, you've already decided how you're going to spend your evening on the couch. You're going to read and you're taking the pressure off feeling like you have to read every single day in order for it to count being a reader that you can't possibly watch a, a comedy because it is destroying your brain. I, I think that uh, stories and laughter, we need those so much right now. <laughs> so to tell ourselves that we can't watch Netflix because it's destroying us. Well, if we are choosing that mindlessly without serving ourselves, our need to rest, our need to um, kind of name what Matt, like, if laughter, laughter matters to me, like I am a, um, I'm a very like tactile, like body person. And if I don't laugh, my body shuts down. Like if I don't actively laugh, if I don't give myself opportunities to laugh, then it actually affects my health. And Mm -hmm. so that is a choice to go, all right, I'm going to watch middle ditch and Schwartz. It's our night to laugh, you know, like you're going to make that choice. And I think that's fantastic. And so, um, so to, to take a, to be kind to yourself in sort of the demonization of watching TV in the first place, let's take that off the table because storytelling visually is a beautiful thing. Now, if you, if you do want to read, cause that's real as well, decide once one night that you'll do it or decide once that you will read. This is the book I'm going to read. Um, when I eat lunch or I read nonfiction in the morning and I read fiction at night, or, you know, you can just make these very, very simple choices, um, of this is what I'm going to read next when this book is over, like just make a simple choice and then ride that choice until it no longer serves you until it no longer serves what matters, but continue to start small in those choices. Don't build it big 
Um, but I think that that is, I mean, personally, I'm like, yeah, man, I'm already motivated to read, um, in a way that makes sense for me because we're taking the pressure off, right? Mm -hmm. We're giving ourselves permission to do it in a way that actually feels like manageable and alive. And, um, so that's what I would say, start small and decide once. This is, this is really excellent advice. Uh, first of all, removing the demonization from TV is, is, is very well said. I think nowadays, you know, it's almost like that archaic expression, like, oh, the TV is frying your brain. But, um, I think that that's accurate. And then what you're saying about reading for 10 minutes, you know, it's almost like, uh, if you want to start working out, you're not just going to, you know, uh, go on the track and, and try to run six miles on your first day. You want to, you know, build up to it. And, you know, as, as your principle, it goes, be kind to yourself. Don't, you know, don't try to do everything in a day. So I thought that was excellent advice. Um, I'm going to give you uh, two more situations. They are going to get progressively more difficult. Um, okay. I'm hoping that the, the lazy genius approach will also apply to relationships for this second situation. Nice. Um, in, in lieu of the election, uh, I'm sure a lot of people listening have, you know, uh, mixed feelings uh, within their friends and their family groups about where their allegiances lie. Let's say someone listening, um, you know, supports uh, Vice President Biden, um, and they're pretty passionate about, um, you know, his his campaign. And their parents are uh, ardent, you know, uh, President Trump supporters, and they're, you know, the seeds of division are being sowed within the family. How how might a lazy genius navigate, you know, repairing that relationship when um, there is a divide between um, the parent and the child? I think I think a lot of listeners might find themselves in in this situation. Yeah, for sure. Well, the first thing I'll say quickly, um, which I've sort of already said before, is is that let people in idea and that we speak out loud what we are experiencing, the the conflict we feel in the relationship rather than just keeping that in and hoping that some conversation around that is going to fix it. To say out loud, I am so sad that we are disconnected over this. Like to say that, you know, rather than keeping that to yourself. Um and where the, the other principle I would bring up here is to go in the right order. All right. So the right order for pretty much anything is to, it's three parts. Number one, name what matters. Number two, you calm the crazy. And then number three, you trust what comes next. Now I have an example in the book about putting markers away, putting my kids' art supplies away, like that I can go in the right order with that. But how do we go in the right order with feeling, um, with feeling this divide uh, with people that we love and but still disagree with? What matters? Name what matters. This relationship, being connected in this relationship. What does connection mean? It's seeing that person. It is seeking to understand that person. It is naming that we can love that we are strong enough to love and still disagree. People have done that since the beginning of time. So go ahead and name what matters. Like if, if, because if, if we move into a, a conversation, let's say with a parent that disagrees politically with us, what we're doing is we're trying to convince them to change their minds, but that's not really what matters here. What matters truly. And I think that the person would feel this way. What matters truly is being connected with this person that we love. Okay. So if you start there, it kind of shifts how you move into that conversation. So then the second part of that and going the right order is to calm the crazy. Okay. So you can actually say out loud, like what makes the situation crazy? Is it that you see your parent, um, sharing things on Facebook that, you know, aren't in line with what you believe or are, um, yeah, 
conspiracy theories or whatever it is. Yeah. If that's the case. What can you do? Don't get on Facebook as much. Make decide once I'm going to get in and check in on Facebook for this particular reason at this particular time. But right now, Facebook makes me crazy. So I am going to decide once uh, to, to put it in my life in within my own boundaries. And I'm also going to mute my loved ones. I'm going to mute my aunt Susan because I love my aunt Susan. But every time I see Aunt Susan post something political on Facebook that I disagree with, that feels uninformed or whatever it is, it makes me not like Aunt Susan. And I love Aunt Susan. So I'm going to choose to engage with her in person, not, you know, indirectly through Facebook. So you, you, you know, you mute that person. How can you calm the crazy? Even when you're having like a conversation you know, at the dinner table, you know, the holidays are coming, um, thinking about Thanksgiving and Christmas. If we're, if we're gathering together at all and celebrating those things that this is a contentious time. And it's really hard for that kind of stuff to not come up. If you're sitting there and you remember what matters here, connecting and loving, connecting and loving is what matters. How can we calm the crazy in this potential situation that you choose to keep your voice low, that you choose to speak slowly, that you choose to look in the eye of people before you say something that you disagree with and say, listen, I love you and I see you. Mm. And I'm asking you to love me and see me too, as I say what I'm about to say, that you make choices that calm the crazy. And then you can, you can trust what comes after that. I truly believe this from everything from markers to political conversations, that if you name what matters and you go ahead and get rid of those things that exacerbate your energy, that kind of make you more angry or more frustrated or more withdrawn, if you take those things off the table. You can so much more easily do the third part, which is to trust what comes next. You can trust that these words that you're about to say are going to land or that you're okay if they don't. You can trust that the decision that you're going to make is um, is going to be one that seeks to connect and not to protect. Like you, it just does so much for us when we name what matters and we calm the crazy around that. We, we, can, we can see so much more easily what comes next. Yeah, I, I I think a lot a lot of what you said will resonate with with listeners, particularly taking back the agency, the autonomy, um, and you know muting Aunt Susie or, or whoever is is giving you anxiety, and and really being I guess giving yourself permission to be a little bit selfish in that respect, and um, as you said, naming what matters I think is particularly helpful. Last last situation I'll give you, uh, Kendra, and this one's more general, but um, a lot of people listening who are maybe, you know, hungry for human connection. Let's say someone listening it lives alone. Um, they're going to school online or they're working remotely. They don't see their friends or their family because their friends or family are, are the other side of the country and they're quarantined at home and they're by themselves. They don't have a dog. Um, you know, weeks have gone by potentially uh, before, you know, they've, they've, um, interacted with another human being and they're just feeling deeply isolated, disoriented, unfocused, and lonely. Um, what, you know, sort of, uh, perspective might you give them for handling that situation? That's such a, a compassionate question. I love that. Um, so I would say, uh, first that, uh, so another principle in the book is to schedule rest. Now we have been taught that rest is napping. It is going to bed early. It is being alone. It is taking a slow walk through nature. You know, it's, it's, um, turning off your phone or whatever it is. I think what is important right now 
when we are, because here's, here's what I believe rest and self-care to be about. They are simply to remind you of who you are. They are doing things that make you feel more like yourself. They are refueling you in ways that make you more grounded and rooted in who you are. Now that looks so different for everyone. For some people, rest and self-care is actually being with other people. It's laughing and having lively conversation. You leave that and you are just so full, right? You Mm -hmm. are, you are not tired anymore. Um, And so I think that what has happened with the pandemic and a lot of the isolation that a lot of us are experiencing, even if we don't live alone, like I've, I was saying to my husband last night, I'm like, I have been, I love these children with my whole heart. I would die for them (laughs) right now, but I have been with them for seven months without a break. Like this is really hard. And I think it's hard for them too. They don't want to be in the house with our mom constantly, you know, like that we are not really giving ourselves again, we're not giving ourselves permission to sort of name the fact that the way that we feel like ourselves, the way that we rest, the way that we come alive, that they look, it looks different. It looks different for everyone. So I would say to the person who is just feeling really lonely and really isolated, really bored, you know, like not uh, unmotivated, all of those things is to go ahead and write down, like name out loud, what makes me feel like myself? When do I come alive? Is it when I am in nature? Is it when I am creating something? Is it when I'm problem solving? When I'm having a conversation that is really deep? When I'm having a conversation that's completely light and fun and full of jokes? Is it laughing? Is it stories? Is it um, cooking? Is it doing something with my hands? Is it being connected to the earth? Like name what makes you come alive in your own skin, name that out loud and then see if you can name, again, we're going to start small. If you can name one way that you can begin to uh, nurture that every day, what is one thing that you can do every day to nurture or bring out, um, that sense of self. So if it is, for example, like that, you really do feel like one of mine is, um, so music just makes me like, it just changes everything for me listening to music mm-hmm. um, and also being outside. Like I really love um, being in nature. Now, do I move fast? No, I have, when I was 18 years old, this is a true story. When I was 18 years old, my knees were just like really janky. And so I went to like the, I don't know what kind of doctor, but a doctor that x-rays your bones. And I was like, what's wrong with my knees? And he did an x-ray and he was like, um, you have the knees of a 70 year old woman. And I was like, Oh, my oh. Gosh that's really fun. Cool. Like I don't have any tissue and between my joints, like my hip joints and my knee joints, there's like not any cushioning there. So (laughs) I, when I go outside and move, I'm not running. I'm not doing CrossFit. I'm walking so slowly through those woods. I, you know, like it is just about the outsideness and see, and, and I share that example because we think that like something like even going for a walk is if you're not doing it to lose weight, it doesn't count. No, just go outside, walk slow, sit on your porch. Like it doesn't matter. So for me, music and nature are two things that completely change how I feel about myself and the world around me. And so every single day I choose to listen to music on purpose and to go outside even for a few minutes on purpose for the purpose of like filling up again. So I would just encourage anybody to name what makes you feel full and then start small by nurturing that thing every day. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. What what a hopeful and and to use your word nimble 
message to to conclude on being self-aware and recognizing what fills you up stepping you know it, it's funny we talked about existentialism earlier but almost stepping outside of your body to remark wait a second i'm i'm happy when i'm cooking exactly. I, at least for for, for for me that's something that lights me up or i'm happy when i'm exercising or when i'm doing music or or what have you um and making sure to incorporate in, in, that into your daily routine um well, listen, this has been a, a wonderful conversation, uh, Kendra. I've, I've learned a lot and I'm sure listeners have as well. And um, to all those listening, you can check out uh, Kendra Adachi's book, The Lazy Genius Way, Embrace What Matters, Ditch What Doesn't, and Get Stuff uh, Done Anywhere Books Are Sold Online. Um, is there one place in particular where, where, where you, you, know, you want to, to steer uh, listeners to purchase the book, whether it be um, Amazon, Audible, your website? Anything is great. There are lots of booksellers listed at uh, the lazy genius collective.com slash book, but I definitely am a, um, I'm a big proponent of, of local bookstores these days just because mm -hmm. of the pandemic. So I know that, you know, local bookstores, it, you don't get the Amazon discount, but golly day, that extra $5 really makes a big difference for those bookstores. So no shame. If you order from Amazon, I ordered a book from Amazon literally yesterday. Um, <laughs> but if you have the ability to do that, to support a local bookstore, I sure do love it when that happens. Awesome. No, that, that, that that's a great message. And I think if, if you have the ability to leave your home and go to a bookstore in your town, a lot of these places are struggling. Um, institutions that have been around, you know, 15, 20 years. Um, yeah. I know down in DC, we're unfortunately seeing a lot of, uh, you know, local retail outlets and, and bookstores closing. So if you could support them, please do that. And Kendra, how can they listen to your podcast, the lazy genius podcast? Yeah. The lazy genius podcast is on, you know, app obviously Apple podcasts and Spotify and um, overcast all the places that you would listen to a podcast. The episodes come out every Monday. They're usually somewhere around 15 to 20 minutes long on a very specific topic where we apply lazy genius principles to lazy geniusing something. So um, it's a great um, and the, and the titles are not tricky. So like if you, if it says the lazy genius shops at Aldi, that's what we're talking about. If it says the lazy genius navigates family tension, that's what we're talking about. So um, it's a, it's just a really great uh, website to serve you, not website, a podcast to serve you with what you, what you need in that moment. So just scroll the titles. There's like a, we're almost at 180 episodes at this point. So wow. there's lots for you there. Yeah. And, and I, I think listeners got a, a nice taste of, you know, what, especially mentioned family tension, like what those, what those right. situations might look like <laughs> and how the la lazy genius, uh, you know, will respond to that. So definitely make sure to, to check that out. Um, thank you so much for joining me, Kendra. This has been a lot of fun. Oh, thanks for having me, Ricky. It's been great. There you have it guys. My conversation with Kendra Adachi, uh, some really great takeaways, uh, from, from our discussion. I think that I am definitely someone who, uh, s sort of along the lines of what we were talking about, I can be hard on myself if, for example, I want to devote 30 minutes to watching a comedy show or, you know, if I do want to meet up with my friends, I definitely feel a lot of shame and guilt and, you know, why am I not more productive? But, you know, on that note, you really can't be too hard on yourself, you know, and, and uh, have to sort of make time for uh, for self-care and, and for laughter uh, as, as we spoke about. And, the, you know, I, I also really liked the idea of reframing, you know, purging lazy of the negative connotation because at the end of the day, like, you need to schedule rest. You need to schedule relaxation. You can't give 200%, you know, every single day of the year, right? Like, even the most successful people, 
you know, sometimes they, they sleep in every once in a while. Sometimes they, you know, go on vacation. Sometimes they um, take a walk or, or do something for themselves. So um, I thought that that was also a, you know, an important thing to highlight that it's, it's okay to, you know, to, to schedule some rest and um, to prioritize that once in a while. And I do think in our culture, we are, and, and I'm guilty of this. My, my dad, I think that's where I got it. He's, he's certainly guilty of this, but I think we are overworked. I think we are overstretched. I think that we are over busy. And I think it's a purely, you know, Western American problem of being a workaholic. And you don't have to be, you know, you don't have to work 70, 80 hours a week to be successful. You can be a lazy genius. You can be economical with how you're spending your time. You can be really smart and really savvy about what you're allocating your time to and just be lazy the rest of the time um, with the the rest of your endeavors. So it was an awesome conversation and I hope that you'll all check out uh, Kendra's book as well as her podcast, The Lazy Genius. So keep it locked into the podcast over the next couple months. Got some exciting guests in the pipeline. Make sure you are tuning in. That's coming up next on Nervous Habits. Thanks so much for listening, guys. This has been another episode of Nervous Habits Podcast. You can follow us on social media, on Instagram at Nervous Habits Podcast, on Twitter at Nervous Habits underscore. Search for episodes and clips on YouTube. Just search Nervous Habits Podcast. And as always, you can write to us via good old-fashioned Gmail, nervousheavitspodcast at gmail.com, nervousheavitspodcast at gmail.com. And remember, if Aunt Susie just can't keep her opinions to herself on social media, just politely unfollow and resume those conversations in person. Take care and stay nervous.